So today's conversation with Dr. Amanda Savage-Brown is really, really rich and multifaceted with a lot, a lot of layers. I mean, I don't invite very many people on a second time. And in that conversation, I invited her to come back because I was just so impressed and riveted and challenged and inspired and really hopeful and excited. And I didn't realize what the full scope of her practice and her background was. I I saw a slice of it and I thought I knew and that was impressive enough to invite her on. But then I uncovered more. So I'm really, really happy to have her with us and to bring you along in this conversation. So let me just get to it. And I'm going to tell you about Dr. Amanda, and then I'll tell you a little bit about what we talk about. So Dr. Amanda Savage-Brown specializes in something called acceptance and commitment therapy. And she helps women with their unwanted thoughts and their unwanted feelings in a very unique way. She's also a recent torchbearer for women who want to explore breast explant surgery. This discussion is full of new information, wisdom, grace, and it goes way beyond rest implants. So I want to be really clear and I want to pause here before I tell you more about here and say, this is not an episode about breast implants or about women needing to explant or just, you know, talking about that whole topic. I deliberately didn't even put that in the title because I wanted to make sure that no one was steered away from listening because of that triggering topic. Because, you know, I get it is triggering. And some people aren't triggered. They just don't want to hear about it. They're either never going to get implants or they already have them and they're happy with them and don't want to hear about anything that they think might be negative or they've already had them out, you know? So this episode is not focusing on that. That's just a part of what she does. And it's really, really interesting when you listen to her talk today that she weaves our discussion in and out of that topic and weaves that topic in and out of the discussion, but it is not at all the focus, okay? Not that there's anything wrong with it being the focus. It's a part of it, but I have to acknowledge the work she's done in this area. So Dr. Brown draws from her life's work in women's health as a scientist and psychotherapist. So she used to be a scientist and then she became a psychotherapist. And in 2018, her personal life and her professional life expertise aligned as she moved through her own breast explant journey. And she witnessed the mental, emotional, and social challenges among women facing breast implant removal. To address these overlooked needs, because there are so many, she developed Breast Implant Through Explant, Bright, Inner Healing, the foundation for Busting Free. Busting Free is the first self-help book for women living with breast implants who are considering moving through or are recovering from explant. Its readers emerge with an unshakable self-acceptance practice that they can use for the rest of their life, no matter how their body changes or ages. She talks a lot about self-acceptance, radical self-acceptance, commitment. What does that even mean? What is commitment therapy, by the way? I had never heard of this before. How does she go deep with women in a, in a way that's unconventional? How does she take her background in public health and as a scientist and merge that with being a psychotherapist? And, and what does she do with women on a day-to-day? And how in the world did that turn into what she's doing now? So, oh, I'm just so excited for you to hear this. So here we go with Dr. Amanda Savage-Brown. Do you know how to practice radical self-acceptance? And I'm going to add, and do you even know what that means? 
There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to Be You Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, so Dr. Amanda Savage-Brown, here we are. We're on VU. We've been talking about doing this for quite a while and our schedules weren't lining up and I'm so, so happy we're finally doing this. Me too. We did it. I'm so excited. Yes. So, I mean, this is a big topic. This could be for some people a triggering topic. It could be a set them free topic, depending on where people are in their journey. I first want to start with your thought on women who aren't even considering having breast implants, why would this conversation be helpful to them? Let's start there because I think there are people who might think this isn't for them. Yeah, this topic is relevant to pretty much anyone who has grown up in a culture where breasts have been sexually objectified. And that's not all cultures on the planet, as you know, but But many of our cultures, all minds are growing up and learning that, you know, some very simple truths like women have breasts, but then the human mind does some, it has some hobbies that it does. And so then it starts to derive all of these other rules about women and breasts and belonging. And it isn't just the female mind, male minds do it too. And so all this conversation is relevant to everyone. It's relevant to patients, providers, women, men. It's relevant to young people, older people, because those beliefs get deeply ingrained in us. And that is pretty much the source of a lot of suffering, not just breast-related beliefs, but all of these socially derived beliefs, that's against those we measure ourselves. And the wider gap that our mind sees between these rules, and I'm doing air quotes that that your listeners can't see, but when there's a gap between how we see ourselves and those rules that just formed in our mind, there's pain. And they're suffering. And so even if you don't have breast implants, your mind still holds those beliefs. And even if it isn't about breasts, your mind holds other beliefs against which it's measuring itself. And so what I hope we're talking about is we can do this in terms of the breast topic, 
but liberating, how to liberate, inwardly liberate your mind, your being from those kinds of socially derived beliefs that lead us to suffer so much. And, and it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious. I know what your journey is, but I'd like to know how it happened. Like, how did you go from being a scientist to what you're doing now? I mean, what there had, I'm assuming there was, I'm sure there was a gradual, you know, progression, but I feel like there was probably a point at which you knew, okay, this is, this shift needs to happen. I don't, I don't know that, but how did that happen? So I like to say if I, and I'm just going to be really real and transparent. I think it's the only way to be. So I was always good at science and I loved science and all that, but I, I kind of got the degree and I kind of pursued what my dad thought was best for me, mm. you know, and I loved to make him proud and, and all that stuff. There was no harm there or anything, but you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I don't always wanted to be a psychotherapist, but my, my father was really worried about burnout and just had some outdated ideas about that. And so he really encouraged me to go into science. I did that, um, learned a lot, had a good time, all that stuff. And I really wanted to be connecting more meaningfully and individually with people. And I knew that I could do that. And so. I just gave myself permission to go back to school and get another graduate degree and, you know, kind of live, like you say, the name of your podcast to to be me, you know, so I gave myself that permission. It was actually after I had our last child, and I was on maternity leave. And I was thinking, you know, I don't, I don't want to keep this other path. I want to do this. I want to be true to me. And so That's how I did it. So I went back to graduate school. And during that time, I got breast implants in my body. And I had to do a lot of rationalizing to get them. Kind of violated some of my personal values to do that as well. And then as I was really moving into mindfulness-based behavioral therapy, as I was uncovering, you know, my own emotional disconnection, my own, you know, cognitive hooks and blocks. When As I was working through all of that, then I started seeing, you know, my body very differently. And then a whole nother journey kind of started that was merging with, you know, my personal life, my physical life and, and my professional life. Oh, gosh, so many things I'm thinking of right now. First, I want to go back to when you said you were were struggling with even the decision to get implants, mm-hmm. because there are women who don't understand why, why people do it. And and let me just say, I want to be really careful because I, I think I've probably unintentionally done this where I don't want anyone listening to feel judged for wanting implants. I mean, you you breastfeed babies and it's like a sack of flour with a golf ball in it. Like it's like you look at yourself and you're like, who the hell am I? And not that you're looking for perfection. Some people are. But I don't know what you think as a psychotherapist, but I think very healthy, you know, women who aren't obsessed with perfection get super challenged by that and confronted by that. Like, I don't recognize myself. I certainly don't need to be perfect, but man, I just would like to look like I sort of like I did. And, and, and that's, it's, it's like a disfigurement. And then they feel shamed if they're not proud of it. You know, you see the posts about, you know, I see my stretch marks and I, I look at those as, as I'm like, I look at them as gross. 
Like, <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be so proud. My children did this. I see the ones I have because I have a lot. And of course, I'm grateful, right? But at the other true thing is I don't like them. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so why do people want them after they've had kids, especially? That's actually chapter one of Busting Free. Okay. So chapter one is titled Why You, Me, and Millions of Others Opt for Breast Implants. And and I appreciate you pausing to take that moment about this is not about shaming anyone at all. This is about validating and honoring, but more importantly, doing it just like you just did. Like we have to be able to be real. I do not get into that false positivity or those false affirmations. It is okay for us to... Like you're using the example of stretch marks. It's okay for you to know cognitively my stretch marks came on my body because of some magical thing I did. I created life. You can know that and kind of be in awe. And at the same time, you don't have to love those. You don't have to be, you know, want to show them off or try to force yourself to approve of them, you know? And so like you, I got breast implants after nursing. And, you know, had never considered them my whole life and, you know, went with a really modest size or whatever. It doesn't matter. But women opt for breast implants for many, many different reasons. And part of what I'm here in messaging is there, there is no shame in this and we need to be able to talk about it. And, you know, a lot of women, as we progress through these journeys, we can't have shame, guilt and regret. And those are really disempowering emotions. And when, when we're moving through these journeys, especially if, if our journey does lead to explant, being able to hold and open up to all of your feelings is essential. It, we have to be able to hold and care for. There's a part of my mind that isn't going to love this idea of explant. I may want to be implant free, but there's probably a part of my mind that isn't going to be on board. And it's that part that was raised in a society where that part of our body is really, it's it's hyper objectified. And so what did you struggle with when you say that you were struggling with the decision? What was it in you that you wanted them, but there was something tugging at you saying, eh? Yeah. For me, having, you know, my first graduate degree is in medical genetics. And so I was in lots of medical school courses and things and, you know, advanced immunology. So for me, I knew that there was no way the human body was going to put out a welcome mat. Oh, I love that. For two foreign objects. I knew it. You knew it scientifically. I mean, not just in your gut. You, I love that we're saying this because you knew this based, I mean, it was a proven fact. You didn't know what the outcome would be, but you knew there wouldn't be a welcome mat. I love that you said that. Yeah, I knew it. And so what I didn't know had no way of, of conceiving. So I had to rationalize, basically. I knew that the immune system is designed to protect us against foreign invaders. Foreign objects are included in that. And so I had no way of conceiving, well, what would that mean? to my body. I just kind of was like, okay, well, this is going to put some kind of demand on my body to have these in there. So I had to rationalize, you know, getting them in. Also at that time, I was in the public health service. I was at the CDC. So most of my peers weren't very, 
you know, focused on that kind of stuff, you know? And so, and it was a lot of women who really valued our minds and what we were doing rather than our body's appearance. And so I, I kind of like getting breast implants, you know, when I went back to work, I was almost trying to hide. I was just going to say, I bet you were hiding. Yeah. (laughs) So lots of rationalizing to, to get them. You know, I was never the kind of person that, you know, restaurants like Hooters and and things like that. Those I've never heard that term. (laughs) Sorry. I've never heard that term. I've been always been disgusted by Hooters. I can't stand it. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember when I was dating my current husband, I saw that there was a picture where his ex-wife had taken their son who was like 10 and was like laughing about it. And it was on social media. And I was like, yeah, I hope you don't. I, I just, I couldn't stand it. We could go on a funny tangent on that. But restaurants, yeah. that's funny. Not a fan. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was never really into that whole scene. And I didn't want to. And that's true for a lot of women. You know, we're we're not opting for breast implants because we're we're trying to move into that direction. Some women are, and not, no judgment there either. But there's a huge group of women. You know, there's the whole group of women that get breast implants for breast cancer reconstruction. There's the whole group of women, and I put a word to this. I call it breast restoration, right? So that it's the post nursing. It's the the women who have gained or lost a lot of weight. You know, the, it's it's women whose breasts are changing with age, whatever that is. So there's that whole restoration crowd. You could call it restoration. Yes, <laughs> good. I love it. <laughs> Would you say that there are also? Because I think it's fair to say this: a lot of women who have implants are looked at as desperate, broken, insecure women, and that's not true. No, it is not true. Some, at all. I was. Yeah, I was, but some are not. They're like you. They're intelligent, empowered, healthy, strong, vibrant women who, as you said, they just want to, I'll put, let you put words to it. Why at the end of the day did you want them? Maybe just one sentence. Because my mind decided that my post-nursing breasts were a threat. Mm. And that's it. Mm. That's it. Even though I was happily married and adored and had nothing to be concerned about, my mind decided that those, they were like ski slopes, you know, and my mind just wouldn't let it go. And it just decided this is, this is a threat. You know, I no longer fit the social expectations around this part of my body. So, Mm. and we live in a time and place where you can quote, fix it. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I know so many people are hearing that going, oh my God, that's me. That's me. Yeah. It's everyone, right? Because so I talk about this in the book. It's actually, I think, chapter, it's chapter one still, but our mind forms this breast rule book, right? And so when we learn all of these things, women have breasts, your mind has a hobby. It loves to turn things the other direction. So if I tell you A equals B, your mind is like, yeah, that means B equals A. So when you learn as a little person, women have breasts, your mind by itself learns, it derives breasts are womanly. And then when you learn that 
breasts have an ideal shape, then your mind all by itself learns there's non-ideal shapes. When your mind learns all the things that it learns about nipple placement, size, color, whatever. Size of the areola. Yes. That's a big one. Exactly. All of that stuff. And so, yeah, maybe my mind said my post-nursing breasts were a threat, but other minds say my asymmetrical breasts are threatening or my tuberous breasts are threatening or my post-lumpectomy breast is threatening, whatever that is. Or my small breast, because if it's womanly to have breasts, then you're better and more of a woman if they're big. Absolutely. And if you look fertile and they're full, then yes. you're, you are more womanly and you're sexier. And that's, oh gosh, I'm trying to not get ahead of myself, but that's something I've noticed after having my explant. But yeah, that's a big one too. So my first question is, is I, I get your answer. You're saying that your shift, there are many reasons that you shifted. And one of them was your experience with getting your implants. So let's, let's hear that story. So you got the implants and then what? So I got the implants and, you know, it was fun for a minute. You know, of course, like you go to sleep, you wake up and you're like, wow. And again, because I hadn't really spent my life worrying about my breast size, waking up to that, it was really kind of just fun. You know, I was like, wow. And then I, I could fill out lingerie. I looked different in bikinis. I looked different in clothing. So I was having fun for a while with that. But quickly, I started developing just some local discomfort. So my implants were always freezing cold. And a lot of women will talk about that experience. It's never listed, you know, in things that can happen. But mine were very, 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 very cold. I didn't like that. Okay, let me ask you this. So you you felt cold on the inside or to the touch with your hand, your breast would feel cold? The touch to the inside of my arm. If it would touch the side of my breast, it was so cold. Guess what? I just realized I had that. Did you? Yes. Amanda, I have never connected that. I didn't even know that that was an issue. But when you just said side of the arm, I'm like, oh my God, that would be me. My arm would hit my breast. I'm like, oh, it's ice cold. Ice cold. Ice cold. That's crazy. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And see how you just did that too, where you were like, I never connected that. It's so I like to mention that because I like to normalize that for women because we will overlook the different ways that we're impacted by breast implants. So here's another one that I started noticing the shoulder roll forward hug, right? So you're going to go hug someone and you roll your shoulders forward and you push your chest back. Because you don't want them to feel the implants. Exactly. Because, and I love hugs so much. And here I was literally compromising every single beautiful hug in my life. I was self-conscious and wondering how I felt to the other person. So I was never present moment to any of my hugs. Amanda, listen, I've talked about this topic a lot. I've interviewed surgeons. I haven't had the episodes air yet. I've had so many conversations. You are the first person who has ever, ever shed light on that, which seems insignificant to some. And it is so hugely significant. And the other reason it's significant is because doing that blocks your heart chakra. Absolutely. If you're turning inward like that and you're pulling as you're trying to connect with someone, oh my God. And let's talk about that's horrible for your health. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, that's worse for your health than your diet, probably. Right. And Aww. also mentally and emotionally and socially, hugs are really important. When you are being embraced and you are feeling and holding someone else, it that is activating your tend and befriend part of your nervous system, that oxytocin release, that bonding, all it. But when you're, when you miss that for a decade, right? And instead of getting that, you're defended and you're self-assessing or maybe bracing yourself as, as in my case, hugs started to become potentially painful. I had capsular contracture. And so, you know, I was also bracing myself for, for a potential pain. And so, you know, I appreciate you saying that this hasn't been talked about. And this is what I am about is helping women look at their full experience on these journeys. Because a lot of women are moving through these journeys and they'll move toward explant and they'll make it be about one thing. And maybe it's, I'm going to reclaim my health. But then if they explant and they don't fully reclaim their health or something else, whatever, and we can get into all that, then they they wonder if it was worth it. And so I'm always encouraging women to just mindfully, without any judgment and without forcing any agenda, just open up to your full experience with breast implants. Do you miss laying on your tummy? How is it to hold your loved ones? I I couldn't really hold my youngest daughter because I had so much like nerve pain. Um, You know, how do you feel when you're working out? Do you have exercise limitations? What about jogging? What about chest presses? Or for me, I had none of that with working out, but I was self-conscious of how I looked because if I would flex, my breast implants would move. Yes. And so I never wanted to work out in front of anyone and I would guard myself. I would not want to do a push-up in front of anyone. It was very, I was so detached, just like you mentioned, you were with hugs. That's how I was with exercising. Right. And then that disconnects you from you know, one of the best parts of exercising is, is reinforcing your mind body connection. But when you're stuck in your mind while you're exercising, because you're worried about implant distortion, you're missing out on that. These are things that no one's talking about, but millions of women are experiencing, you know? Yeah. When you just talked about nerve issues, I I would like to just spend a minute on that. Cause I mean, you know so much about this that we could talk for an hour on each piece of what we're going to cover. And I didn't plan on even asking you this, but I do want to say this because even when I felt great with my implants, I had years of feeling just fine. And I loved my boobs. They looked amazing. I had them after, I'm sorry, I got them before I had children. So I nursed three kids with implants. The advantage of that is that they looked completely natural. Nobody believed I had implants. I had an OBGYN even feel to go, you really do? Like they were spectacular as they used to say on Seinfeld. But there's one thing that I've never shared publicly, not because I'm hiding it, just what didn't come up, that had nothing to do with breast implant illness. But it's more common than people are willing to talk about. Surgeons are hiding this, and that is the nerve damage. So after my implants, I had no complications that I knew of, easy peasy, in and out, felt so, it was so simple. I went right back to nursing school. And from, I don't even know, a week or two after that until today permanently, I lost feeling in my left breast 
it was not just numb three quarters of it, but also like the pins and needles feeling like when your foot's falling asleep, which is painful. If I would touch my left breast and like even like push my nails into it, I would have, I would say the pins and needles feeling. But the other thing is anything pulling on that left nipple, right? Any type of suction or pulling, imagine what that does with intimacy, wasn't just uncomfortable. It was excruciating. Yes. Excruciating. Nursing my children. Oh my God, that left side, I would just clench and scream just like the hugs, just like working out. I couldn't be present. I was distracted because it hurt so badly. And it was a stabbing sharp pain that would go all through the breast to my back. It wasn't just the skin hurting. I want to make sure I know you get this, but someone listening gets that. And that's one of the minor risks of getting implants that is never even talked about, but that's life altering. I have them out and that damage is permanent. I know. I know. And I use that word excruciating as well. And see, look at the cost of that. So you're nursing, you're doing one of the most amazing things. It lets us enter into this timeless universe of motherhood, right? And you get to release oxytocin, which is the best (laughs) hormone around. And you were in excruciating pain. And, And look at that. It is an unsanctioned loss. It is an unrecognized cost, but it's very, very real. And I had it too. And to this day, I still struggle with uh, a lot of nerve pain. And it's from those, those surgeries, you know, all in pursuit of measuring up to the breast rule book. Mm. Okay, so I, I took you on three different paths, but back to your story, <laughs> you were feeling the coldness, you were feeling some... Yeah, so, you know, like you, mine looked great, but they were only for looking at. You could not touch them at all, ever. Really? So that wasn't really fun. Even like a um, year later? Yeah, because they just, that nerve thing was uncomfortable for me. And then I quickly started developing capsular contracture. Will you explain uh, what that is, please? So that's every single implant, breast implant, when it's in your body, your body, because it's a foreign object, starts to, you know, it's it's putting that fibrous scar capsule around the implant. So it's covering the implant and making, it's, it's a scar capsule. And in some women, that capsule will continue, the fibers will continue to contract. And it will tighten. And that's why sometimes you'll see breast implants that have a very unnatural look to them. Um, or you'll see breast implants that maybe one is starting to get really high on a woman's chest. And so it's, you know, that's what's going on. It's, it's a pretty common thing. There's different grades of it. And so mine, you know, started off like they do, just kind of mild, but it just kept progressing because my body was overachieving at doing its job of trying to just really strongly protect me from, I had, I had pretty bad implants in my body. So I think it was, my body was working really hard to create a barrier between me and them. It loves you so much. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. What my surgeon explained to me, Dr. Brown, that that once you have that capsular contraction, I didn't even know surgeons did this. She said, do you know how many doctors will take them out and put new set new implants in? She goes, once you contract once, you will always 
contract. She says all they're doing is increasing the risk of infection, nerve damage, et cetera, and also the peace of mind for that woman because she's being fooled into thinking it's not going to happen again. She's said it's just going to keep happening. I did not realize that. Yeah. I've talked to countless women who have battled capsular contracture. There are medieval devices available that women can buy and place on their breasts to try to break up that scar capsule and to all this stuff, you know, just just to measure up to these social expectations. And again, I'm not saying that with any judgment. It is nothing but 100% compassion. I did it. You know, I get it. Yeah. And they don't know. No. They trust, no. they trust that the information they're getting is accurate and they know there's a little risk, but they don't really know all the risks. And they hear the big risks like, okay, of course, in every surgery you could die. Right. But they don't hear these things that appear very subtle. But the, as, the, as you said, they're life altering and they could be disfiguring permanently as well. And they just can impact you minute by minute. So it's very interesting to me. I, talk to women on these journeys. That is what I do. And the number of women who say that they received so much unwanted attention, that it wasn't at all what they signed up for, and that it ultimately led them to be more self-conscious than before they got the implants. And you're raising your hand. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I actually, so I also, and isn't it funny how we do feel like we have to justify, well, I didn't get them very big. They look natural. We always say that. (laughs) We always do that. I'm going to say that too. So I'm by nature, a very small person like you. I'm heavier now than I've ever been, but I've always been a very small person. And my breasts were like a size A to double A. And so when I got the implants, again, before having children, very impulsive mood, I I decided on a, I think on a Monday and I got them on a Friday. Like wow. literally, yeah. Found out we couldn't have children naturally. I was angry. And I'm like, you know what? Then I'm just going to go get my boobs done. It was just like a ridiculous process. But anyway, so I got them in, not very big. And so when you were talking about hiding and I, you said I raised my hand, I, you know, as I just said to you, I didn't get big implants. So they weren't super noticeable, but I hid them and I would wear bigger clothing. I actually gained like 10 pounds. And my friend even said, are you gaining weight to like cover up the fact that you got your boobs done? And I said, I don't think so, but I was. And here's the other thing. Even I had in 24 years. In the 24 years, ask me the number of times I actually showed cleavage. I mean, maybe three and I felt so uncomfortable. And I realized the reason I felt uncomfortable, not because there's something wrong with cleavage. Cleavage is beautiful. It's because that's not how I was born. I wasn't made to look that way. So I felt like subconsciously like a fake. Yeah. And I just didn't like, I don't know, I couldn't do it. And and my husband, we've been married eight and a half years now. I mean, he's the kind of guy that's like, boob job or no boob job, I love you no matter what, just like your husband. Yeah, but I had him when I met him and I told you they were spectacular. So he would even say like, why do you hide them? Like show a little cleavage. Like I wouldn't wear a push-up bra. I wouldn't show them. Why do you think most women hide them once they get them after they invest all that time and money? I know. I know. You know, I call it getting more than you bargain for from breast implants. And you can get more than you bargain for from them socially, emotionally, mentally, and of course, physically. Right. And so I think that this is a complex thing. So I'm going to try to be really yeah. simple about it. You also were, you don't love restaurants. You don't like the Hooters thing. You don't like all of that. Right. So like it or not, Breast implants are in two different 
verbal networks or frames in our mind. So they're in one frame, which is they're appetitive. We want them. We associate them with better breasts or, or in cancer patients being whole and complete womanly and they're appetitive. There's something that we want and they're good, but they're also for some of us in a, in a different frame in our mind, which it's so associated with, you know, restaurants or porn or, you know, objectification, something that's objectifying to women. Exactly. And so our minds are very complex and it can absolutely hold to opposing truths, right? I love my breasts. They're beautiful. I love my breast implants. This is right. And then at the same time, it can also say, but I don't want my breast implants to lead me to look like that. Mm. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so th- that I think, you know, that's probably not true for absolutely everybody, but I think that it's a very subtle kind of subconscious thing that's just going on because of how our minds work with language and cognition and all this stuff that's around us. And it's just this very subtle thing. But yeah, I ended up buying, you know, the kind of sports bra bathing suit tops, you know, so mine just went straight across like a sports bra. And I never had the cute little triangle tops and and all of that over time. I just wasn't showing them off either at all. So why did you decide to actually then get them removed? So in addition to those local issues that I was having with, you know, pain, discomfort, they were cold, capsular contracture, I also started having two more of a values conflict. And this is something else that I really encourage women to just mindfully open up to and just mindfully observe in your journey. So my two came about like this. I had three daughters. They were, two were very, very, they were young. They were very young. And as they were growing up, I was really concerned about what messaging am I reinforcing to my own daughters who were like me, naturally thin and not well endowed, right? And my youngest daughter was pre-verbal when I got breast implants. It was after I'd completed nursing her. She didn't even know I had them. The conversation never organically came up with her. So I knew she was looking at her mother's body with great anticipation of her own breast development. And I also knew that was never going to happen for her, you know? And so I started feeling concerned about that. And like I was unintentionally misleading my youngest daughter. The older two knew that that I had them. So that was one. The other values conflict for me was as a psychotherapist at the time, and still to this day, one of the main specialty areas of mine is women and self-acceptance. And it's women creating the change in their life that they want so that they can live life on their terms, right? So if, if whether that's because you've had childhood trauma, you're going through a divorce, whatever that is, helping you maybe overcome people-pleasing, right? So here I am doing this work with these women, many of whom also had body acceptance struggles, and I'm sitting across from them behind two breast implants that were physically uncomfortable to me, and I felt fraudulent because these things were hurting me, yet I wasn't acting on my behalf. 
and, and getting them out. So these are things that we experience, but, but no one other than me is putting words to these for women, you know, so these values conflict. And so that was kind of a long way that I lived for a while. And then my sister got breast cancer and I thought, okay, well, this is it. These are over the muscle. They're interfering with my breast cancer screening. My sister has breast cancer. They've got to go. So I, I was like, I'm, I don't want to age with them in my body. I don't want to live under this surgery shadow because they're not lifetime devices. They've got to be replaced. So I'm going to do it. And I looked into explant and I said, hell no, absolutely ah, not. I didn't expect that. <laughs> I retreated like nobody's business. <laughs> I did not see that one coming. I'm going along. I'm hanging on every moment. I'm like, wait, what? Oh my goodness. Hey, before we get to that, I want to share with you that when you shared the values conflict and you talked about your daughters, oh, I just, I have, I have to like, it'd be okay if I cried, I know, but I'm keeping myself from crying because I had them before I ever had children and I have two girls. So they never knew I had them. And when they were developing and they were in middle school, I thought to myself, oh my God, they're probably looking at me and wondering why they look different. And I actually look just like them. Yeah. And I didn't say anything. I was afraid. I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid they'd tell people. Yeah. Like I didn't know what to do. And gosh, I wish I could think about, I don't remember when or why I told them, but I'm telling you, it was living in this house and I've only been here six years. Let's just say it was four or five years ago. Somehow it came up. I don't even know. And I said that I had them. And my daughter said to me many conversations later, oh my God, I was so sad because I would look at you and go, when are mine coming? When are mine coming? Yes. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And when she said that, I just, oh God, I just could cry right now. It makes me so sad, Amanda, that I, it's okay that I did, but it just makes me sad that, that I wasn't, didn't have a conversation Anyway, so just that's something if you're listening to think about, not to feel bad about, but just consider if you do have daughters, it's okay, you know, to, if you want to get breast implants or have plastic surgery or do, just understand that there there is going to be an impact that maybe you can't see when it comes to your daughters. And Jill, I would add, you know, if any of your listeners are in those positions that you and I were both in that we're talking about right now that this is an opportunity for self-compassion. It's such an opportunity to genuinely validate, you know, that this, your breasts mattered to you, you know, that you, you happen to live in a time and place when women can surgically alter our bodies to align with these social valuing around breasts. And that, for whatever reason, you're in this situation with your daughters right now. And that is a, something that deserves compassion and not guilt and not shame and not judgment. It's just to be able to say, yeah, this is a hard position that I'm in. And I don't even know really how I got here, but, you know, acknowledging it gently and then pivoting to your values and deciding, like, whatever led you to have your conversation with your daughters, right? And how I chose to have my conversation when I finally did muster up the courage to explant, 
I had to talk with my daughter that didn't know. And I chose to be guided by a value of honesty and connection. I wanted that connection with her. I wanted to just be vulnerable and I wanted to be real and say, listen, I'm going to tell you something I think is going to blow your mind. And I'm so excited to tell you this. And I'm also kind of dreading your reaction, but I think it's going to make some things make sense for you. And I I couldn't wait to tell her. What was her reaction? She laughed, not in a mean way, but she laughed. She said she immediately got the awkward position that I was in, you know, and she said, I cannot believe you've lived with this my whole life, basically. And now you're having to get them out and you have to tell me. She was like, mom, this has to be so awkward for you, you know, so (laughs) it was really cute. I'm surprised your older daughters had not ever even accidentally slipped and said something. No, they never did. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. But but it's been really good for me and, and our youngest daughter because now... I mean, this is, I mean, I wrote a book, I'm quote, the explant therapist. So, you know, I mean, she's having to really come to terms with the, the fact that her natural body is one that isn't the one that's celebrated, but it's good because now we're dialoguing about it. She isn't going to be alone with those thoughts. And can you tell me the ages of your daughters? Um, Now they are uh, 18 27 and 29. Wow. Okay. So the 18-year-old. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you had yours out. Mm-hmm. I finally got the nerve up <laughs> four years after yeah, that. After initial. retreating and saying, yep. I'm not mm-hmm. doing that. And I'll let you lead here. What, tell me what you'd like to share about that, if anything. And it may not be relevant. Maybe we just need to go on to how in the world did you start doing what you're doing? Well, actually, that is the relevancy. So four years later, I got the nerve up and my change catalyst was that I noticed a sudden shape change. And I knew in my gut that one of them was ruptured. And I just, I was like, this has to go. They're gummy bear, they're silicone and something weird is going on and it's got to go. And so I then went through my explant journey. I that's when I learned about breast implant illness was when I was on my consultations and I was being gaslit about BII and I never mentioned it. I didn't know it existed. I wasn't really on social media. I, so as a, as a women's health specialist, I thought, what happens to women who are going to doctors for this condition? What is that like for them? So I started looking into it and then I started thinking, Gosh, I have a lot of that stuff because the, the symptoms are nonspecific, you know, and you can see it across so many other things. So I will openly admit I was pretty skeptical and it actually didn't make a difference to me because I was explanting no matter what. I do like to share that I had a disability that had been misdiagnosed as peripheral neuropathy. And I never in a million years thought that that was related to my body's ongoing, I call it the battle against the bags. I never made that connection and none of my doctors did. So I explanted and three months, within three months, I was no longer disabled. Nothing. It was gone. And I was shocked. And having gone through the whole journey, I went through it 
with the eyes of a psychotherapist and a former public health scientist. And so I saw these huge gaps in the mental and emotional and social preparedness of women going through these journeys. And it, it, it kind of pisses me off mm-hmm. because it's like society gives us all this encouragement and it's this big deal. And, you know, you've got to make, fix your breasts and you're going to be confident. And but then when it comes time to get them out, for whatever reason, be it BII or a rupture or a recall or your values or whatever, when it comes time to get them out, you're just kind of left on your own. And there's a lot of focus on the surgery. But what about you're returning your body to something that you thought needed to be fixed? Yes. So good. Because when you said you're left on your own, you're yeah. even left on your own by these amazing, amazing warriors, these surgeons who are leading the charge and taking them out and not afraid to talk about, you mentioned BII, which is breast implant illness, you know, and no fault. I mean, no criticism of them. They're doing such good work, but they don't know there are people like you, uh, that there's someone like you. I shouldn't say people. There's no one else doing what you're doing that you are. Cause I just went through it. I'm one year out. You are just like left, left to figure it out. There's so, and there's so much to figure out. It's not just the emotional part that you mentioned or the psychological part, but there's also like the detoxing and the, you know, assuming my disappointment was I thought everything, I mean, because all of my symptoms truly went away as soon as the implants were out. I mean, the fatigue, the autoimmune symptoms, everything. And I dropped 14 pounds right away. And then a year later, well, less than a year later, I noticed I was at a plateau. I couldn't lose any more weight. I was so frustrated. I'm like, and you said it earlier, of course it's worth it. I'm glad I had them out, but I went through hell. And I'm like, now I'm 25 pounds overweight and have small boobs. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's a real thing. It's really hard for me. Yeah, yeah. And you and I are the same age. And, you know, explanting around this age, you know, you are really also... We're going through the change of life, you know, are so many changes. So I was listening to your, some of your podcasts and I think you were talking about the love puff. Is that what it was called? The love puff? Yeah. I think it's called love in a puff, but I call it love puff. Love puff. Explant is a love puff. I was thinking about that. This is how I see explant. It's like, yeah, you can white knuckle your way through it. And some women aren't scared. Some women are just, they want to be implant free. They, they have their surgery. They move on. Okay. Great. Love that. You know, a lot of women leading up to explant are, there's a lot of stuff going on leading up to explant. And I see explant as this, it is a love pup, this amazing opportunity for you to finally and fully reclaim not just your body but your heart and your mind as well, you know, and to really get back into this relationship with yourself where you're attuning inwardly instead of keeping an external vigil, you know, where you're paying attention to yourself on the inside. And when comparative thinking shows up, which it will until we die, it is just part of being a social creature. So when comparative thinking shows up, Instead of responding to it with the old unhelpful ways that we've all learned, explant can be a sacred pause for you. It can be an opportunity for you to learn a new way 
to respond to a very human behavior of comparing yourself to your group. So when you compare yourself to your group, either with your post-explant aesthetics or your thighs or your thinning lips or your eyebrows or whatever else it is, how much money you make or whatever it is, when you're comparing yourself to your group, you can learn a completely new way to respond. And why not just let explant be that that time in your life where you put that stake in the ground and you say, this is it for me. I I am going to make some long overdue changes, you know? And that to me is the hidden opportunity of explant is this is hard and it's a huge opportunity so that you can live the rest of your life with a genuine self-acceptance practice, not just some concept or some like words of affirmation, but literally knowing how to give yourself acceptance. That I get really excited about that. And I get so sad when I see women who've gone through explant and they didn't know that that opportunity was there or they rushed through explant or they just focused on the surgical side and they didn't know that that opportunity was there and they get to the other side and they're just drowning in the comparative thinking and the struggling and the suffering that we've all just kind of been conditioned to live with. Mm -hmm. Or maybe are they doing what I've done, which is I don't, I really don't compare myself to other people. I compare myself to the old me. Yes. What I used to look like, not just my breasts, but I looked at at what I looked like at 45 and I'm like, oh my God, I looked freaking amazing. Like I look back at that. I'm like, damn, but I don't like anything like that right now. And it's really yeah. hard for me, Amanda. It's really hard for me. And now you have the friends that go, oh no, you look great. You're... Okay, thank you. But but it's like what we said earlier, both can be true. Thank you for saying I look great. Thank you for saying that I'm, it shouldn't matter what someone's weight is, but for my frame and my build, I am over my ideal weight. And I've had friends say, oh my gosh, compared to most people. Okay, that can be true too. But the the other thing is that's true is that I look at what I looked like a few years ago. And if I'm really transparent, I would like to tell you I've transcended this. I haven't. I miss it. Like I miss looking like that. I miss, I'm, I appreciate how good I looked because I really took good care of myself. And I mean, aside from the implants, it's, it's hard. Yeah. There's so many different people with different, different opinions. But as you said, I'm like in this change of life. I'm not quite in menopause. I'm in perimenopause. Is it that? Is it thyroid issue because of the implants? Is it toxins? Am I having toxic dumps? I've had all these conflicting reports coming at me. Either way, you know, I am at a plateau. I'm about 25 pounds over the weight, not my high school weight, but the weight I really feel good at. And I don't like the way that looks, especially having my implants gone. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I say this a lot in my book is that, you know, after you explant, if you're lucky, the one thing that you're guaranteed to do is age, right? And aging has been more vilified in our culture than just about anything, you know? And so I appreciate you being real and vulnerable and talking about that noticing like, yes, both can be true. Maybe I, I look relatively speaking good or whatever, you know. And at the same time, it's also true that you don't have to say, I love it. You know, I'm okay with it. You're noticing that there's that discomfort, right? And so the question is, can you learn how to respond to that 
in a way that honors it, opens you up to it. And by doing those two things, it absolutely frees you to act on your behalf and to do something for yourself, whatever that is, you get to choose. It's going to be values-based, you know, but when we're struggling against something, I wish it weren't this way. Why do I look this way? This isn't fair. I never planned all We're doing all that normal stuff. We get stuck in that struggle. But if we can just open up and do what you're doing, the first step is genuinely acknowledging. Acceptance comes with change. We can't change something that we're not accepting. So you're opening up to and saying... Mm, That's good. You can't change something you're not accepting. Yeah. And so you're doing that first part where you're acknowledging that... And and I heard you say, you know, there's that little part of our head that's like, I know weight shouldn't matter. And oh, you know, yes. Okay. All of this stuff can be true. And the bottom line is that there's a feeling in you that you're not where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you what my fear is. Can I tell you? I mean, this is great because you're coaching me live on here. People can see what you do. I'm going to tell you what my fear is. I could try to talk myself around, I'll coach myself out of this and journal about it. And it would, I would see that this is not true, right? But I'm just going to tell you my biggest fear is that if I fully embrace, because I'm trying to really love myself as I am, I'm two or three sizes, pants bigger. I'm like, like one thing I've done recently, I think you'd be very proud of me, like this outfit on, I have a really cute outfit on. I have these wide leg faux leather pants, almost like gauchos back in the seventies, right? These wide leg pants with a elastic waist. So they feel comfortable and they fit me. And this really cute sweater I just got from Banana Republic and this, tar- I think I have a cute outfit on. I've got jewelry on, my hair's done. Why am I telling you that? Because one thing I am doing is loving myself at this bigger size instead of fighting it, instead of wearing the jeans that are too tight and being mad at myself. I'm but my biggest fear is that if I really embrace how I look right now, this older, fluffier version of myself, that I will never go back to what I was. If I, if I really am happy with myself like this, this is where your brain comes in to help me because I, I'm obsessed with that other version because it was just a few years ago and I may not be exactly right there, but man, I'd like to get a lot closer. And if I upset, you know, if I accept where I am now, then that's almost like settling. And then that it will tell my body, I can't go back. You are literally saying almost word for word. And I wish I could find it really quickly, but you're almost saying word for word, something that I, I wrote in my book, which I talk about how at one point I also viewed self-acceptance as, quote, letting myself go. Mm. I feared that if I learned self-acceptance, that that meant I was going to let myself go. And what you're describing, there's a big difference between acceptance and tolerance. Tolerance is not a change process. Tolerance is getting through the worst of something. You've given up. You don't believe that change is possible. And so you're going to get through the worst. And a lot of people equate accepting something with tolerating it. But in acceptance and commitment therapy, which is what I specialize in, acceptance is quite different. Acceptance, let's just change that. It's opening up to, it's making room for, and it's allowing. So you get to accept, open up, and make room for 
all of your feelings, even the unwanted ones. So that sadness, that grief, you're grieving the, the you that you were, right? And that there's been this process that you've had a major surgery. There's a lot of stuff that's changing in your body. You're aging, perimenopause. There's a lot of stuff. Maybe it's thyroid. Maybe it's post-BII stuff. So many things out of your control that have gotten you to this place. And so opening up and grieving that and allowing it to be, and then you get to choose because then you're free. You're saying, okay, there is a gap between what I have and what I want. And anytime humans have that gap, it's typically filled with pain, right? And so when you accept that, when you open up to it, it frees you to hold it. It frees you to look at it. And it frees you to, to respond to it with your values, right? And so there's, I always say to women, there's nothing wrong with wanting to look your best so long as pursuing that doesn't mean that you're violating your values like me when I got those implants, right? I was violating a lot of my personal values. So if you're not, you know, buying into something that you can't afford, if you're not signing up for something that you haven't researched the shit out of, that you don't really truly know the risks and the long-term consequences or outcomes. As long as you're not doing something that harms you financially, physically, socially, emotionally, it's okay. You know, so you pivot towards your values and you act on self-care, you know, and for you, self-care might be right now it's buying those comfy pants, but it may also be you were talking about somebody on one of your podcasts, you were talking about somebody teaching you about weight training and that you really like that, you know, you may want to continue that. Mm-hmm. Or today I took a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that might be part of you narrowing your gap. And that's okay. Self-acceptance means I'm opening up to all of me, even the unwanted parts. I love that. And that frees you to take care of all of it, you mm. know? And you know, I mean, you know this, that there are lessons everywhere. One lesson I do know is for me is that as I was on my walk today, two things came to me. One, how little I do for myself, for my physical health, how much I put everything else ahead of me. But the other thing that came into my awareness is that the former me that I talked about, it wasn't high school me, but literally just four years ago, you know, being so much thinner and and fit and strong, et cetera, that I think I had to lose that to realize that even when I looked like that, Amanda, I did not think I was attractive and I did not really appreciate the health and the stamina and even what it felt like to to fit into the jeans I fit in. I didn't appreciate any of it. All I focused on were my flaws. Yes. So you just set up. So I love chapter one of Busting Free and chapter two is called Your Inner Fixer. And that's a new concept that I'm introducing to the world. And it is literally talking about what you were just describing. So there's a part of our mind that tries to fix the way that we feel on the inside by focusing on and fixing, in quotes, our appearance. So it tries to fix how you feel inwardly by fixing how you look outwardly. And it never stops, right? And so even when you have achieved that weight or whatever it is. Or got the implants. Yep. Most women, after you get breast implants, it's not this Shangri-La where you've got total body acceptance. A lot of women say, 
it ushered in even more body criticism. Yes. You know, because now the rest of me has to be perfect too. Yes. If I was able to fix that, I should be able to fix this and fix this and fix this. So your inner fixer, it's very different than an inner critic. An inner critic can just kind of, you know, go at you about things that maybe your inner critic isn't there to like help you. Your inner fixer is very protective of you. Your inner fixer is there to build you up, not tear you down. And so when your inner fixer feels that inner pain of feeling less than or not good enough, your inner fixer wants to help you. And so it starts in with maybe you should get breast implants. Maybe you should take up jogging. Maybe you should. It's trying to help you narrow that pain or soften that pain, right? And that's where acceptance comes in because if you can open up to say, I'm a social creature. I'm going to care. I'm going to care about how I belong to my group. And when I feel like I'm not good enough or I'm not measuring up well, whether or not that is true or false, irrespective of the truth of that, when I feel that, I need to respond with care and compassion and kindness, right? Otherwise, my inner fixer is going to be in the driver's seat. Yeah, it's one thing someone had explained this to me, and I I kind of say it in my own way now that, you know, you can't use like the the venom or the poison that caused the problem as medicine or salve. Like you can't, you can't bull your way into being better about, you know, and this is what I've done many times. You, It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Exactly. And, you know, I've worked with women forever and I've noticed what you were reflecting on on your walk this morning. I've noticed that to be true is that, you know, we do so much for so many and that we will often, self-care is something we care about. It, it is on our list, but it often finds itself at the bottom of the list. We mean to get to it, but we don't. Or it's at the top of the list, but it'll get bumped in a jiffy. Yes. Like my kid needs me, this happens. No. Absolutely. It will get bumped. And it's, yeah. It just often ends up there at the bottom. And you know, so it's it's being very intentional about it and saying, okay, this is my reality. I'm noticing these feelings showing up for me. What am I willing to do for myself? How do I want to act on self-care today? What is something I can do for myself today? And getting really concrete about it. Otherwise, we do just kind of kick the can down the road and we're like, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, today is da-da-da. So, but I always encourage women to start with acknowledging it and then really holding it gently, right? Because we've all lived probably decades of our life where we feel that pain of being not good enough or less than or whatever it is. And we respond to it with not a lot of kindness. We respond to it from a place of fear. And I've read before that women were very capable of creating amazing change. It works better for us when we link that change to something that we care deeply about rather than trying to move away from something that we're afraid of. Yes, that's really good. Everything you're saying is gold, but that really struck me because I was thinking about, if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about self-care, everyone could list 10 ways of 
caring for themselves, whether it's a massage or a bubble bath or taking a walk or whatever it is, right? However, there are women, and I know someone in my life who appears to really, really take good care of herself to the point where I shamed myself because I wish I were like that. I wish I got up at five o'clock every day and worked out like that. I wish I had that discipline. I wish I loved myself enough to do that. And the more I observed, again, no judgment, but the more I observed is she's running from something. This quote, self-care, this is actually destructive. This is coming from a need. It's coming from perfection. It's coming from not enoughness. It's I could just, I can see it so clearly now. Yes. And it's actually not, in fact, not going to the gym would be self-care. Missing a day would be self-care for her. Right. And that's why I encourage women to think of self-care very differently. It To me, it's not bubble baths and mani-pedis or anything. To me, self-care is busting your ass and learning on the inside how to change your relationship with your inner fixer. That part of your mind, especially like on explant journeys, explant removes breast implants. It doesn't remove your inner fixer. It doesn't remove old unhelpful beliefs, right? So self-care in my world is learning a new way to respond when your inner fixer is, is worried about things. Mine is very worried about, you know, these lines here between my eyebrows and here, you know, they're called crow's feet. Mine's very worried about those things. And it's, I can't just turn that part of my mind off. So I've had to learn a new way to respond to it. Self-care is also being able to catch when your mind is going down old, familiar, unhelpful ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. Self-care is also learning how to actually attune to yourself in the present moment. It is a mindfulness practice for sure. You know, and that's most minds don't love to learn how to be mindful and to stay here and now. They're like, they want to run around like unleashed puppies. You know what I mean? <laughs> so self care doesn't necessarily always feel great, but thank you for can, saying that. Yeah. <laughs> because I actually was going, my next question was going to be can you give us some examples of how we can take care of ourselves that has nothing to do with moving our body? Like just yeah. the way we can be with ourselves like like it's more it's worse for our health i believe to be criticizing ourselves constantly and sabotaging ourselves even if we're eating great and working out like it's worse for us than eating a cheeseburger you're right it's the same thing as nursing but you're in all of this pain then you're not getting that amazing experience of the nursing, the relaxing, the oxytocin drop, right? So it's like, if you're doing all those other things, but it's, you know, it's the function of the behavior that matters. And that's what we always look at in acceptance and commitment therapy. It's the underlying, you know, there can be a woman who gets up at 5 a.m. and goes to the gym and another one who gets up and goes to the gym. And the reason they're going yes. really matters. The come so, from. For self-care that doesn't involve all of that stuff, again, one is a mindfulness practice. You can only take care of yourself in the here and now. And so you have to learn, I call it building a mental lasso. So you have to learn how to, when your mind starts going back to pictures of yourself from four or five years ago, or when your mind starts going to feared futures and predictions about where you're going to end up, it's using that mental lasso to come back right here, right now. And to be able to stay in the present and take care of whatever needs your attention right now, 
which is that grief, which is that concern, and they need something different. And another way to do self-care that doesn't have any of the gym and exhausting yourself and all that stuff, I call it practicing the ABCs of acceptance. And that's chapter nine of my book. And the ABCs of acceptance, it's learn, really literally learn how to do acknowledgements of you on the inside. You've got to learn and there's concrete things you can do to acknowledge how you're being on the inside. And then the B part is, is learning to be and breathe and be with your body, right? And then the C part is companioning yourself, which is very, very different than criticizing yourself and judging yourself. Companioning yourself is, it's just like if you were going on a journey with somebody, how would you want to show up? You know, you're not going to want to be this annoying, critical person who's like, you know, saying all these horrible things that are going to be happening. You know, think about the kind of way you would want to companion yourself. And there's actual exercises you can do to teach yourself how to have your own back, how to actually be with your experience. And that is part of Busting Free. I made an online resource library. So, you know, there's a QR code at the front, um, but it's all also on my website. And there are guided meditations and guided audios. So no matter where you are on this journey, you can love your breast implants, or it might be the night before explant surgery, or it might be a year after explant. But there are guided audios for anyone moving through this journey that she can just put in, they're click and play. And it's going to teach her the mindfulness that I'm talking about, that present moment awareness. It will teach her how to build that mental lasso. It will teach her the ABCs of acceptance. You know, it'll help her get to know her inner fixer. So they're all available and for the taking just right there. You know, you can go to bustingfreeonline.com and it's just this beautiful, it's like a Spotify player. You can just plug and play and listen. And we can also find that on your your personal website, right? Because when I went on your website, I saw there are so many resources. Yeah. So my website, amandasavagebrown.com, it has the whole Busting Free landing page, the Busting Free library, but it also has my blog, which you know I'll be adding much more to it now that the book is published. It just came out a few weeks back. So But my blog focuses on giving these kinds of tips and actual practical ways that you can respond to, you know, some women feel guilty because they got breast implants. Well, that doesn't serve you. So what can you do about it? If you're not ready to remove, but you're sitting there feeling regretful that you have them, but you don't want to take them out, there's things you can do for yourself, you know? Or what about if you are like us and you do have daughters and you haven't spoken to them? You know, there's blogs there that you can read. Explant regret. That is a real thing. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I know I had someone who a year, no, two years after her explant, she is, of course, glad she did it on one level. And at the same time, she's like, Jill, I miss them. I really miss them. And I usually don't because I didn't like the way it felt to have a foreign object in my body. I could just, I didn't like the way it felt, even if I grabbed my own breast, to feel a bag in there. I just didn't like that. I love the way I feel now. I love that there's nothing there but me. It feels so good. And I was going through my phone and I saw an old picture and I was like, holy mother, I looked good. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's all true. It's all true. But I will tell you, I mean, I look at myself in the mirror now and I really do 
I mean, I'm proud of myself and I look at my breasts and I'm like, they're, they're great. And I'm so glad I did this. And so for anyone, because I do believe we probably have some people listening who don't have implants and they're never going to go through that. But this conversation has been so rich and so full for every woman. What resources do you have for, for the women who, who aren't going to be a part of the discussion about the implants, but they love everything else you're sharing. When you just talked about acceptance and compassion, what was the, what was the word? Oh, women's, women's self-acceptance. Yes. Okay. So where can they find that? Because I'd love to know more about that. So they would just want to go to my website and go to the blog and, and just kind of keep watching for that. So I started my blog pretty, you know, maybe a year ago, but I've been so, so hard at work. I've never worked harder on anything than busting free. Um, and so my plan moving forward is to be feeding that blog, not just with breast related or implant related or explant related, but to kind of really bring forward the whole, everything that I'm talking about has relevance to how we navigate this world as women, you know, and how to really bring forward. I want self-acceptance to be a tangible practice for women. I can't stand when therapists are like, or your friends really, they all mean well, but they say, you just need to learn how to accept yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, if we knew how, we would, you know? So it's like, I want to kind of be that walk the walk therapist and not the talk the talk therapist. So So do you take clients, Dr. Brown? Like you will create a container with someone where they can be your client and you can walk them through all this. Absolutely. So I do, I do what I call counseling, coaching and companioning. So, you know, there's the whole therapy, which is different than coaching. And a lot of what we're talking about today is much more of a coaching thing. It's creating the change that you want and living life on your terms, right? And the companioning is something that I made, you know, for women on these journeys when they really want somebody who's got the ability, A, I've been through it, but has the ability to bring them through this journey and help them emerge. You know, I, I like that Kintsugi metaphor with the golden, do you know the Japanese pottery? Repair? Oh, it's on your website. Yeah. Yes, I love it. Will you remind everybody what that is? So there's a Japanese pottery repair called Kintsugi where they put their very best into it and they use gold lacquer to bring together the fractures and the pieces aren't trying to hide the scars. They show those beautiful gold lines and they're regarded as stronger and, and more beautiful than the original. And that to me, that's my goal with women as we've gone through life, be it an explant journey or not, is that you're able to go through life and you are actually given the tools to put your best into your inner healing you know, then you, you're not going to hide those scars. You don't have to love them or anything, but you do emerge more radiant. You do emerge stronger than you were because you went through it, but rather than white knuckle through it, you did that golden repair. You put your best into it, you know, and I'm living that, you know, I have a pretty distorted post-explant chest. So when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm not like, mm, you look good, girl. That is not my experience at all. But when I look in the mirror, I can practice acceptance. They look exactly as they should, given the journey that they've had. And I don't have to love them, but I can be loving to them, right? Oh, so good. Absolutely. 
And that's what I want all women to know how to do. Yes. Oh, so good. So good. Like fire emoji, fire emoji. (laughs) Seriously, so good. Here's going to be my question. When are you starting a podcast? Oh, you know, I've had people ask me that. Maybe could you teach me how? I'm fascinated with yours. Listen, I don't just say that randomly to people. There are a lot of reasons I'm saying it. One, your message, of course. Two, the depth and breadth of your knowledge. I mean, thinking of your background as a scientist and then going, I mean, there's so much you can share, right? But the other thing that, that it's not necessary to be a podcaster to have this, but you do. You have a great voice. You're someone who is really good at speaking. You just are. You express really well through the voice. Some people, not so much, but they're better at writing. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to shoot on you. My friend said, don't shoot on people. I won't <laughs> shoot on you, but you absolutely can. And I would say it'd be great if you'd consider having a podcast. I mean, I am telling you, I would subscribe and listen every week. I know. I mean, I, as you're talking to, I kept thinking, I need to tell this person about her. I need to tell that person about her. And I love that you're, of course, we need to niche down, right? You have your niche about the explant and that whole, but then there's just so much more that plays into that story anyway. That you can, so I encourage you, I know you just wrote the book, so we need to just chill for a little bit and let you just integrate <laughs> and celebrate what you've done. Um, but after the new year, if you're considering doing that, I would love to talk to you about that. I think it would be hugely successful. Oh, I so appreciate that. I love how you talk about yours and that it's, it has been so embraced and that you aren't making yourself sick doing it. That is super important. You know, I've learned that over the last I didn't know what I was getting into writing a book, um, but it was a very heartfelt and I really felt not to be dramatic, but I, I really did feel like there was like a light shining on me and that I had to write this book because I, I do think this is an evolving area of women's health and this kind of cornerstone content needs to be available. But man, I had like a 1980s idea of what was involved in writing a book. And so you're right. I am going to. You know, I'm trying to help people be aware that it's there, but also wanting to I honor and really respect what you're doing when you're called for balance and rebalance. I love when you do that. And it's just and that you own it and that you just follow that. And that is so important for other women, other people, just for anybody to see that you're attuning to yourself and you're feeling when it's gone too far in some direction. And then you you take that sacred pause like you did this summer and it's amazing. So if I were to step into the podcasting area, you would be my inspiration and model to for sure. Oh, thank you so much. You know, and just thinking about when we were talking earlier about getting your message out, you don't have to jump through hoops and there's no red tape and there are no rules. When you have a podcast, your message just gets out there. Yeah. And so people will share it and share it and share it. And just imagine in a year or two having women in 120 countries listening to you. You don't have to promote yourself. It just happens when you have a message that needs to be heard. And I'm telling you, your message deserves to be heard by millions of women. I'm so excited we connected and found each other. And I'm so grateful you took all this time to be with us. I know that the woman listening right now is saying, okay, Jill, 
this might be my new favorite. <laughs> um, it's, it was, it was so good. It was so good that I could like stop and have us go take a coffee and come back for another couple of hours. It was that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing that is I great. don't usually have people on twice, but at one point I do want to have you back on. That's invitation is already being extended. Thank you. That yeah. means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. So once again, website and Instagram, how do we find you? So the website is my name. It's amandasavagebrown.com. And then on socials, it's at Dr. Amanda Savage Brown. All right. And we'll have that obviously in the show notes. Yeah. And then the book is called Busting Free and it's available on Amazon. And you can also find Busting Free if you just go to my website. Awesome. I think that's the name of your podcast. Busting Free Podcast coming in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. 